Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. Well, BNI is a business and professional networking organization. It allows one person per profession to join a group. And its primary mission is to help people increase each other's business through referrals. Uh, so I just heard um, I just heard yesterday that um, we crossed the $20 billion mark. That's a billion with a B, $20 billion in what we call thank you for closed business. That's the amount of business that's generated between members. And for the first time in our history, we've hit $20 billion in one year. Growing up, I mean, let's rewind to, to a young uh, Ivan. Was young Ivan into networking, into uh, help? What, what's the, the saying givers get, right, for, for BNI? The, the message is uh, givers gain. Givers gain. There goes. Okay. The idea is that if I help you uh, build your business, you'll help me uh, build my business. And it's, um, it's, I think it's one of the reasons why BNI has stood out as a networking organization. Because first and foremost, our message is help others. And if you're going to help others, they'll help you. And that's sort of a, you know, when I started being 938 years ago, that was kind of unheard of. Networking was even more transactional than, than it is today. Well, I mean, so running back to, to a young Ivan, before you started BNI, were you into that mindset? Was that your mindset of, I need to kind of help other people? Or who was young Ivan growing up? You know, it, it wasn't about networking. Uh, for me growing up, it was about um, getting in a career that helped other people in some way. Um, and I wasn't going to do it, you know, quite the direction I went in at first. Um, I had originally, I was planning on going to law school. I'd been accepted to law school and uh, later changed my mind and really started to focus on business. And my graduate work is in organizational behavior. Um, and and I kind of fell into the networking thing because as a I was a business consultant and as a, um, a business consultant, it it was a way I generated most of my business. And so I tried to form a group that fit my personality, which was, you know, small, a little more intimate group, somebody where you can get, build relationships with people, get to know them, trust them, and do business with them. And you could be sitting in a room with none of your competitors because that's the way BNI is set up. We don't have our competition. It's just one person per profession. And, you know, that was my goal. And honestly, I, I you know, I, I, I'd like to tell you I had this vision of an international organization, but I, I just needed, I just needed some referrals for my consulting practice. And people kept asking me to open a second group and a third group. And um, and it just took off, and I didn't. I did not anticipate it. Well, you see, you said that you originally wanted to be an attorney, be in the legal profession. What was what was the goal behind that? Why, why did you want to get in that in the first place? You know, I I, I liked what attorneys could do in the world. Um, I have since sort of changed my opinion <laughs> of that, but. Um, it was something that attracted me, um, the law. It, it, and it did until it didn't. It was really interesting. Um, I was actually accepted to law school. 
And at the very last minute, I changed my mind and decided instead to go on for a master's degree. And I'm glad I did. I was, I'm, you know, it was was the right, it was the right role uh, for me to do. Uh, At the time, I was working for, I think at the time I was working for the Commerce Department. And um, after a reasonably short time, I realized that working for the government was (laughs) not my passion. When you when you get accepted to uh, law school and then and I know there's a lot of people that fight really hard to get into law school. And I hear all these stories about, okay, my parents were just so ecstatic. Now having it and then kind of taking it away probably has to kind of drop them off a little bit. How did your your parents or people around you take it when you said, hey, I got accepted here, but I'm not going to go there. I'm just going to do a master instead. What uh, what was that response like? You know, my parents were actually um, pretty good with it. They uh, weren't upset. I didn't even tell them I was going to go to the master's. I just said, I'm going to do something else. I'm not going to uh, do law school. Um, they were okay. I, I have great parents. I really did. My parents were wonderful. I, whatever people skills I have, I got from my mom. She was very good with people. Uh, I got my work ethic from my dad. My dad worked hard. Um, he was a blue collar worker. We never had a lot of money. Um, grew up in a very low middle class um, neighborhood. But whatever people skills I got from my mom. As a matter of fact, I have on my on my um, desk, and I've had it on my desk for decades. This paperweight, and um, my mother gave it to me when I was thirteen. The paperweight says, "Diplomacy is the art of letting someone else have your way." Diplomacy is the art of letting someone else have your way. And she said, honey, uh, you're a bull in a china shop. You just knock people over. You have got to learn how to work more effectively uh, with people. And um, you got to be more diplomatic. She said, this is about collaboration, not manipulation. But you've got to learn how to work with people. And it was great advice. It's advice that I have to you know, hit myself over the head with every now and then and remind myself. Um, but it's it's true. And so I had great parents, grew up in a very, very, listen, the, this is my home office in Austin, Texas. Hmm. The house I grew up in was 300 square feet larger than this office. Oh my gosh. So, uh, you know, I grew up in very modest, uh, very modest means. And um, am, and, and, and I'm lucky that I had uh, great parents who were very supportive. So they didn't get upset. They figured I would find my way. And I kind of did. The the note uh, of that that your mom gave you right there. How often do you look at it? Because that seems like that's almost the core of B and I right there. How often were you looking at that note? It sits it sits in front of me. I mean, it's it is literally just on my right hand side, uh, just uh, uh, in front of my mouse, um, and it has basically been in that same spot in. Uh, in my primary office, sometimes, you know, I have a couple different houses and, and I had an office, a, a business office. I don't, I don't work out of BNI's business office anymore, but I've had, you know, a couple of offices and homes in my office. It's always been in my primary office, whatever my primary office is, um, since I was a kid, you know, and then it was in my bedroom, um, you know, on a little desk that I worked from. So um, it's always been in front of me. I got it at 13. I'm 66. 
So you do the math. Yeah. It's been, you know, 40 some years. When you're uh, in the consulting business and you're building out the first BNI or what's it became the first BNI, what was that process like? Was it simply, hey, these are the people I have around me. Do you want to come together? What, what was the sales pitch? What was, how did you kind of start forming that originally? Do you remember? Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I started the first chapter as, uh, hey, here's a way that we can generate referrals for each other in a positive environment. You know, I, I wasn't the first person to create uh, a network by any stretch of the imagination. But what I wanted was a network that was had a positive environment. It reinforced um, the things that should be being done, like showing up. Uh, you know, you can't get a haircut over the phone. You got to show up. Even if it's on Zoom, you got to show up. You got to be present. You got to engage. Uh, you, you have to do things like one-to-ones. You have to meet with people privately. You need to give referrals, although we don't penalize people if they don't give referrals. We do recognize people when they do give referrals. You need to bring visitors. You need to be a proactive member. You, you can't be um, what we like to call a minnow, a member in name only. Hmm. Uh, you can do that in some networks, not in BNI. There has to be rules and systems and processes in place. Um, you know, hockey without rules would be boxing on ice. <laughs> you got to have rules. And what's funny is that, you know, sometimes we get people who go, I, I don't like BNI. There's too many rules. Well, you know, then BNI is definitely not for you. There's rules for success in business. You know, if, if business were easy, anybody could do it. You could roll out of bed at noon and work until three and go home. You there's stuff you got to do. There's systems and processes. And if you're not willing to follow those systems and processes in any business, you know, you're, you're an interviewer. There's systems and processes. You got to prepare. You have to have questions. You got to be able to go with the flow. You know, if you just wing it, it's a podcast that sucks. And so, um, and you know, the rules may differ depending on the focus of the podcast or the focus on whatever it is you're doing the business, but you got to have systems. And so B and I have systems. And what we tell our members is, um, you know, just apply the rules, but apply them um, more like Mandela than Attila. You know, <laughs> apply them with tough love that you care. Um, so yeah, from the very beginning, we had systems and processes. It's the person, it's the kind of guy I am. And people who uh, really believe in success and are willing to do a little bit of hard work um embrace it well what was the process of building the systems building the rules from when you first started to yeah. maybe the second and third chapter because the first chapter at least you're there you can actually see what's going wrong what's right, right. and then it had to change have that second of the eyes what yeah. was that process like well i wrote everything down and uh things that didn't work uh, i wrote down so i wrote down what worked i wrote down what didn't work <clears throat> um because education training in any process is a leaky bucket uh, process. You train me how to do something and some of the information leaks out. Uh, I train somebody else how to do it, that same thing, and even more information leaks out. They train uh, a, a fourth person, even more information leaks out. And by the time you're at the third or fourth person, you have half a bucket of information. Mm. And when that happens, then people just start throwing stuff in and it may not be stuff you want. It may not be stuff that works, it may be stuff you've already done and failed. And so it's very important to write things down, to create systems, write them down and train on the systems. I learned that really, really 
quickly. And so we started writing things down uh, immediately and we started changing the meetings. We added things to the meetings. We took things out of the meetings. Um, and, and I got to tell you, the first two or three months with just one chapter, I was I was method acting my way through the process. You know, I didn't know how to network. I was figuring it out as I went. We don't teach this in colleges and universities anywhere in the world. We don't teach networking. It blows my mind. I did a survey of 12,000 people all around the world. It was in one of my books. And it wasn't just BNI members. It was open to the public. 91.4% of the respondents said networking has played a role in their success. Hmm. 91%. When have you ever seen 91% of any group of people agree to anything ever? <laughs> and yet 91% of the respondents to this open to the public survey said that networking's played a role in their success. Yet we still don't teach this in colleges and universities, I think it is a travesty. If you were teaching a class, what would the, the syllabus look like? I mean, what would be the, the top uh, points that you want to get across? Yeah, well, I did teach a class once at Cal Poly Pomona, but then I moved uh, from California and wasn't able to teach the class anymore. Um, so I, did, I actually do have a syllabus. Um, the first thing I would do is take a look at the difference between mindset and skill set. What, what, what happens is when most people talk about networking, they talk about skill set. Okay, here are the things to do in order to network. Here are the techniques uh, to be effective at networking. And those are great. I got nothing wrong with those. You, you probably end up spending the majority of your time on that because there's so many different skills to learn to network. But there's a big piece missing. It's like the foundation of a home. It, you know, if you build the foundation on, on mud, it, it's not going to go far. And so the foundation uh, has got to be built on mindset, which means you need to go into the process of networking with the right mindset. And there, and there, there are like three, maybe four different aspects of the right mindset. One of them is giver's gain, which you mentioned. Uh, if you make networking transactional, it's never going to be effective. It's got to be relational. And that's what giver's gain is about. But here's the, probably the biggest. Uh, and it's, there's three parts to this one item. I call it the VCP process. It stands for visibility, credibility, profitability. Visibility, credibility, profitability. First, you have to be visible in the community. People have to know who you are and what you do. Then you have to establish credibility. That's where people know who you are. They know what you do. They know you're good at it. That's the one that takes time. Developing credibility takes time. Networking is a marathon, not a sprint. So it takes time to develop credibility. Then once you develop credibility, then you can move to profitability where people know who you are, they know what you do, they know you're good at it, and they're willing to give you referrals. This isn't a sales process, it's a referral process. So if you want to get referrals from people, you got to be strongly at credibility so they're willing to refer you and get to profitability. The problem with networking is that most people try to jump over visibility, over credibility, get right to profitability. Hi, Vinny, my name's Ivan. Let's do business. Or, or here's three copies of my business card. One's for you. Maybe you could give two to someone else. And you know what? That happens to me. And when it happens to me, I always say, I'm sorry. Um, what was your name? <laughs> and they're like, oh, oh, my name's so-and-so. I'm like, look, I, I don't even know you. I'm not going to refer anybody I don't know. So let's talk. So when you so when, when I say this, you have to work your way through the VCP process. People say to me, then why go to networking events? You go to networking events to work your way through the VCP process. 
You see, there's a fourth phase I haven't mentioned yet. It comes before visibility. It's called invisibility. That's where nobody knows you. So, and when I say they try to jump over visibility, credibility, I, in one of my books, I call this premature solicitation, which you don't want to say fast three times. It'll get you. <laughs> um, it, you know, you, you go to a networking event, you meet people who you've never met before. That's a time to, to start the process of becoming visible. Have a conversation. Find out about them. A good networker is two ears, one mouth, uses them both proportionally. Talk to them. Um, some you may know, you may say, hey, Vinny, it's good to see you again. How's, uh, how's your podcast going? Then you have a conversation. You're working on credibility. Others, you're referring business back and forth to. You go to a networking event, there's somebody that you're already referring business back to. You go to them and you go, hey, how'd that, how'd that project work out? How, you know, did you get some sales? I referred some people to you. How did it go? You know, you have different conversations with people depending on where you are in the VCP process. That's a mindset. There are several other pieces of mindsets, but you got to get that right before you go to skill set. So if I were to do a syllabus again, I would start with the whole section on mindset. What are the mindset issues to build a powerful personal network? And then I would jump into skill set, which have a boatload of items that all go back to live you honor the mindset as you do the skill set. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, no, definitely makes sense. How has, and I mean, has it, I guess, in your eyes, networking changed from when you first started uh, the first chapter to now with technology, uh, everyone trying to be, I guess, a mini celebrity in their own kind of micro markets? Yeah, well, look, um, in some ways it's changed, in some ways it hasn't. Technology has certainly been a change. I think um, behaviorally, I'm seeing more people understand and recognize that it's, uh, networking is relational. If it's done right, it's relational, not transactional. Now I say that, but you know, as young people come into the workforce, it's like starting all over. It's a whole new fresh of recruits <laughs> and they don't get it. It's all transactional, you know? Um, and, and so overall, I would say people who've been in business for a while, I'm seeing more and more get it that networking is relational. That's different than 38 years ago. Overwhelming, overwhelming majority of people, uh, networking was transactional back then. I would still say the majority it's transactional, but um, far less. So that's different. It's a behavioral difference that is good. Another difference is that we have a lot of organizations um, I mean, like BNI. Or, you know, or we have 10,800 BNI chapters now in 76 countries. Um, that's a lot. That's hundreds of thousands of members living a philosophy that didn't exist or wasn't implemented 38 years ago. So that's good. Now, you mentioned technology. I'm not afraid of the technology. I, I, I think the technology is inevitable. As a matter of fact, in 2018, four years ago, I wrote an article that's up on entrepreneur.com. I forget the exact title, but it's basically the future of face-to-face -face is online. Now, when I wrote that, my organization was like, oh, no, say it not so. Oh, the old man's losing it. You know, <laughs> He's getting up there. What's he know? So um, I was saying technology is changing at such a rapid pace that more and more we're going to see uh, networking events take place online. I mean, come on, look at us. 
We're doing an online interview. <laughs> you know, just 10 years ago, this was unheard of. 15 years ago, if I wanted to do a radio interview, forget about podcast. If I wanted to do a radio interview, yeah. I had to drive to the radio station. Yeah. They, it was rare that somebody would do an interview with me over the phone because the quality just wasn't good enough. So I had to drive to the radio station uh, in order to do a radio interview. Yeah, we do it this way. It's, it's easy peasy. So technology has been fantastic. First of all, technology flattens the communication hierarchy. It enables you and I to communicate on this platform globally. When I started BNI, a year into BNI, do you know what the second largest line item in my budget was? The telephone. Oh, good. Staff was number one, phone bill number two. It was outrageously expensive. Now, I don't even know where the phone bill is in my budget. It, it's buried. <laughs> it, it's nothing. Um, and, and technology, we can have a you know face-to-face -face conversation, two-dimensional, two, two, uh, but a face-to-face -face conversation. Uh, and so the technology is awesome. It's going to get better. Holographic imaging, 3D technology, the metaverse. You know, there's, there's going to be a time in the not-too-distant future we're going to have some variation of Star Wars where, you know, you've got a, a, holographic, a holographic Jedi Knight, a real Jedi, and a couple of holographic Jedis. You remember that in Star Wars? Yeah. When we get there, I want to be Obi-Wan Kenobi. Well, I, you I, know, I actually had uh, – so there's a lot of AI things that are happening right now. I had a – Someone on just recently, where you answer a bunch of questions, and now because of interactive uh, uh, conversation you could have with people that have have passed away. Um, technology, oh, that'd be interesting. It's it's, yeah. a, it's a crazy thing, but yeah, it is. And so I think that the technology is going to continue to be in, integrated into networking. Uh, right now, BNI has gone from 100% in person before COVID. When COVID hit, we flipped 10,000 chapters to online. Now. Uh, at the you know tail end of COVID, 68% um, of our organization has gone back to in-person. 16% has stayed completely online. And 16% has done hybrid. One meeting in person a month, three meetings um, online. And I think the future is going to lean towards hybrid and online. Is there, I mean... And I guess each person's different, so there's probably not a true answer to this. And do you see a growth or what's the growth level of referrals given when with the hybrid model relative to strictly only online? Does Do you see basically more referrals passing through, I guess, through face-to-face? -face I, I do, but the numbers will tell. You know, we have, we have this system called Thank You for Closed Business, which I talked about early on. Yeah. And so we're able to look at... How many, what's the average size of a chapter that's online yeah. and how many referrals are they passing? So what is the per capita referral value? Yeah. What's the value of the spot? Yeah. And we can do the same and compare that to in-person. We can do the same and compare that to hybrid. Okay. Now there are factors that you have to take into consideration, like a chapter that's six months old is not going to be doing the same amount of business that a chapter is six years old. Yeah. So you got you to gotta baseline it a little bit. It's a little more complicated than one might think. But we're, we're going to be able to determine which of the methodologies uh, is best. Mm. If I were in business, I mean, I'm the founder of BNI. If I ran a business and I were to join a BNI chapter today, I'd probably join hybrid. 
because mm. I still believe in in-person. Yeah. You know, in-person is just, to, if you and I were in the same room, it, it adds a level of energy yeah. to it. And this is good. I mean, this is really good, but it still adds a level, level of energy when you're, yeah. when you're sitting side by side, you can shake hands. Um, so meeting in person, I think once a month is, is where I would want to go. But you know, look at me, I have a lot of gray hair. The millennials may disagree with that. And you know, the future lives for the millennials. And um, I think, I think the change is going to be inevitable, but I like, I like hybrid. All right, well, let me, let's rewind back to okay, young Ivan. He's starting out his his chapters, first one, second one. When was that time? Because I'm assuming when you're first doing this, the BNI was helping grow your consulting business. But there yeah. was a point in time where, hey, you know what? I'm making more money or I'm putting more time into the BNI than I'm doing in the consulting. And I kind of flip flop. Was there a time that you kind of remember that happened? Yeah, 1988. Okay. Three years into BNI. Uh, I was not making more money from BNI. I was making less money. I made good money as a consultant. I mean, I was billing out at $100 an hour uh, in 1988. Yeah. So uh, I was making pretty good money. Um, I think what what happened for me was I I, I wasn't making enough money, and and I, and I wasn't making enough money as a consultant because I was spending so much time on BNI. That I, I actually took a third job. I, I started teaching at a university. And that teaching kind of offset some of my consulting income. Um, and I decided to go with BNI, even though I took a cut in income. And, I, and the reason for it was I came to the conclusion that as a consultant, I can help maybe 10 or 12 clients at a time. That unless I really wanted to scale my consulting business and hire part hire other consultants and have a partner track, which you know I certainly considered, and coaching was not a thing back then. You know, um, if I if I didn't start BNI, I might have later started a a coaching hmm. franchise, um, but I didn't. That's fine. Coaching uh, might have been the direction I went. So that aside, having not known that that would come into uh, existence. I figured I could only help eight or 10, maybe 12 clients at a time. But with BNI, I was already helping hundreds. And it just felt good to me. I mean, it's it sounds kind of uh, altruistic, but the truth is I felt I could help more people um, doing BNI. Was and there, so I, I doubled down on BNI and um, started to grow it even quicker. Was there was there ever ever time in the earlier stages when you were kind of in that transition period? You're helping people grow their businesses by networking. Yeah, was there a time because you were you have a history as a consultant where you go, I can actually help them in this avenue too. Maybe I should speak up, or was it fairly comfortable? I'm just focusing on BNI. And that's not my business. I can't really give my insight into their actual company. Oh, do you mean give advice to a company? Yeah, give advice to the people that were actually the, the oh, yeah. business owners I, they were in. I did. I didn't charge for it. Okay. But, um, you know, as I visited chapters and people told me about challenges they had, I, I shared with them management techniques um, that I had learned along the way to scale a business. I mean, here's an example of one. You know, entrepreneurs, this is common. They would say, you know, I can't, I can't hire people. I can't delegate. It's just easier to do it myself. 
And I would say, no, it's not. <laughs> you will never scale your business as long as you believe that. Um, here's how you delegate. And I would teach them how to delegate. I said, you delegate both authority and responsibility. What happens is most businesses delegate responsibility, but not authority. And so um, this employee comes to you for the rest of their existence asking for your opinion on something because they know that if they make a mistake, they're going to get in trouble. And what you have to do is delegate both responsibility, this is your job, and authority. You have the authority to make decisions on this job. Now, I said you don't delegate 100% authority to a, to a, a new employee. So it depends on the role. Delegate you know, 50% authority and then train them. Give them a little time. And okay, will it take you a little more time then? Yeah, it will. But you can scale and you can hire another person and another person and another person because you're giving authority. So as you teach somebody, you give them 60, 70, 80, 90% authority. Um, you might end up giving them, I mean, I never gave 100% authority to anybody. Uh, I always held back on two things. A number. And that number varied whether you're the receptionist or the chief operating officer, right? The dollar amount that you had power over varied depending on the role you had. Mm. So, you know, it would be like, if it, if it hits this number, come see me before you make a decision. And the second thing was, if someone's talking about hiring a lawyer, come see me before, <laughs> before you make a decision. I want to be involved in that. So, um, and I would have people say, yeah, but they're going to make a mistake. And I say, yeah, you never made a mistake. <laughs> yes, they're going to make a mistake. It's their tuition for learning the business. And that's the way you scale. And people who got that um, then started to delegate both responsibility and authority, authority over time as they learn. So I gave advice like that all the time um, to people. I still do. You know, probably probably the, the biggest bit of advice I give to businesses constantly is you want to succeed, do six things a thousand times. Not a thousand things six times. And I'll say to people, you're doing a thousand things six times. You're bouncing around. You're doing this. You're doing that. You're doing this. You're doing that. Stop it. Find six things, the, the things that make you the most money. Find mentors to help you with that. And then do it a thousand times. And by the way, it doesn't have to be six. It could be five. It could be seven. But you do a handful of things and you do it a thousand times. That's the way you achieve success. So I give advice like this all the time to businesses. You, you brought it up before about systems, building systems, building systems, yeah. building systems. And then also kind of giving people, I guess, the, the room for their own to make their decisions. In your own company, in, in BNI, when does basically a decision become, hey, we got to add this to the system? Is it when this happens multiple times with your employees? Hey, we got to basically put it into the system. Is it one time, two times, or just something that kind of pops about? Does that kind of question make sense? Totally. Uh, you have to be careful. You, listen, you ask a very meaningful, deep uh, and a problematic question because it's very easy for feature creep to um, make something unwielding uh, where every time there's a problem, you add a, a feature and you add a feature and you add a feature. I mean, anybody who has a television remote control knows that feature creep has taken over that control. There's just too many buttons. And, um, that can happen in a business. And so you have to be really careful about adding things. So you do, on the other hand, you also give people uh, leeway 
the system is here's the leeway. Mm. Make any decision within this box. Um, for example, accepting a new member into a chapter. That's a chapter decision. Not, not being a headquarters. That's a chapter decision. So we give the guidelines. What do you look for in bringing in a new member? Uh, here's an even more important one. What do you look for when you remove somebody from a chapter? Hmm. You know, what, what are the guidelines to remove somebody from a chapter? You know, don't remove them from based on race, religion, color, sex. You know, they, they, you know that's, that's a no-no. Uh, you cross a, a huge line, you do that. But uh, for ethical issues, um, yeah, you can do that. But what you want to do is sit down and have a dialogue with the person that has, you know, has the complaint filed against them. And you want to have a dialogue with the, what we have as the membership committee and make the decision locally within the guidelines of the program. So sometimes the decisions are, um, sometimes the system is you decide within this framework. And sometimes it is, this is it, follow this. And the more you add, look, okay. If adding stuff to a system made it better, the IRS code of taxes, the IRS tax code would be so simple to understand and easy <laughs> to apply, but it isn't because it has become uh, an un fathomably complex set of books. So that is feature creep on steroids. Uh, what you want is uh, appropriately adding things as needed, but you don't do it too often. Look up, uh, anyone who's listening to this podcast or watching it, uh, look up feature creep online and you really get a good description of what it is and why it's, it's potentially bad. Well, I mean, the remote control thing, I think for a lot of us right there, it's like you have all those buttons, but you probably only use a couple of them. Yeah. And generally, they don't even work together. So <laughs> your cable TV controls probably not going to work with your TV control, at least not on everything. You know, some things you need your TV for. I got three and I, <laughs> and I got a universal and the universal wouldn't work with the third. So it was like okay, my third was a, a Bose speaker system. Oh, so um. So I basically have to use three remote controls. Uh, best I could get it down to two. And it's like, really? That's feature creep. And, and not talking left, not talking to the right, and different companies not working with each other. And, but that can happen within one organization. When, when you look back at the history of BNI and kind of what you've accomplished, is there, what would you say is the biggest kind of uh, speed bump that you've kind of had to work through? Well, the biggest was uh, our BNI Connect online platform, which, you know, imagine LinkedIn as a walled garden that not anybody can join. Mm. Um, like BNI Connect is for members only. And you can be on it. Uh, there are groups, you know, law groups, travel groups, um, professional organizer groups. I mean, travel agent, uh, uh, real estate agents, you name it, there's a group. Import, export. Um, so you can be in any one of these groups. Uh, you also can connect and, uh, with, with any member anywhere in the world. You can get access to where all the 
members uh, where the chapters meet and you can go visit chapters. So um, that we, we implemented uh, back in 2011. It was absolutely the most difficult thing I ever did. And it almost bankrupted me. Oh, wow. and, um, and it was amazing how, how so many people dug their heels in to say, no, I don't want this. You know, uh, particularly local regions. No, this is my region. You can't have access to the data in my region. And it became very um, silo-like. And I had to break down those silos gently. I had, I had to pull out this uh, diplomacy <laughs> of letting someone else have your way and talk about us. You know, it's not their data. It's everyone's data. It's everyone who's part of the organization. It's their data as the local chapter. It's their data as the director of a region. It's their data as the national director. It's our data as the franchisor. And so everybody has access to that data, but it has to be used appropriately, which means you can't spam them and you can't do this and you can't do that. And so we had to kind of set guidelines for what was okay. Was there nudge people into the 21st century? Was there ever a point because you're you're talking about almost being bankrupt off of this and people yeah. fighting back where were you ah maybe I should just I'll just go back to what we were doing. Let's stop nope. this. No. Nope. 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 Damn the torpedoes full speed ahead. This is what was necessary for the success of the organization. Prior to that, the entire organization operated in two ways. The overwhelming majority of people operated off of pieces of paper and would mail them with the rosters of membership. Mm. Um, worldwide, they'd be mailing stuff to the US. Uh, the other half was, well, not half, the other third was working off of probably four or five platforms that were written just for them. So nobody else had access to it. And so they would just print out reports and then mail them to us. So um, no, that was, uh, that was not the way the organization could scale into the future. To have, because I think there's a lot of people, I mean, business owners, right? Where they have an idea that this is what we need to do. How do you, gain the confidence or how did you gain the confidence in these big decisions where people maybe are pushing back? Is there, is, I know you talked about writing stuff down. Is that like the, the avenue of doing it? Or where does that confidence come from? Well, look, you know, first of all, I had advisors around me who um, I sought their advice and, and the advisors didn't always agree. And that's good. You don't want that every now and then on difficult decisions, you want a barking dog. You know, somebody that uh, is, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> you know, you, you got to hear that. You may not like to hear it, but you, you got to hear that. So, you know, you have a barking dog or two, and then you get other people with different perspectives. You know, I would, I had people surrounding me that uh, were tech-based. They understood technology. Uh, I had people around me who were uh, operationally based. They understood the operations, didn't get the technology, but they got the operations. I had technology people that kind of didn't get the operations. I had some who thought, I had some who thought they knew both, but they wanted me to use their platform and their platform wasn't scalable. And so, you know, you just have all of these things. 
and you take the advice, pick and choose the advice that you think is best for the organization. And you surround yourself with uh, people who can help you make the decision. Um, you know, eventually the way that uh, project got completed was through co-creation. There, there's, there's, you know, competition, co uh, cooperation, and co-creation. And so BNI Connect ended up being completed as a co-creative process where all of the stakeholders were involved in the decision-making, which means you have to have unbelievable um, openness. You, you, you must be really, really uh, uh, clear and open about, transparent about what you're doing, which is um, painful, but in the long run, critical. And so I was extremely transparent about what I uh, did. And, um, you know, I was dealing a lot at first with the issues that come up with the transparency, but at least I wasn't dealing with a lot of um, rumors. Mm. You know, when you're really transparent, you're transparent consistently, uh, rumors dissipate. They never go away. Uh, but they dissipate uh, because it's like, hey, here's the paperwork. <laughs> Look for yourself. These are the numbers. You know, here's here's a bookkeeper, an accountant who's a member of BNI. Ask them if they're true. There they are. So you do that enough, and they're like, okay, fine. And and they, you know, you drag them kicking and screaming into the 21st century. As you kind of look forward, you're talking about going to the future. I mean, five years from now, where do you see your routine? Where do you see BNI? I mean, what's what's Ivan going to be doing? Well, uh, listen, I'd love to keep doing what I'm doing. Uh, I, I, um, you know, I used to think I would retire in my 50s. I'm in my 60s now. Um, the thing is, I love what I'm doing. So the the answer to your question is, I will continue to do what I'm doing as long as two things happen. One, uh, I have good health. And two, uh, I continue to love what I'm doing. And, you know, I think an entrepreneur is either working in their flame or working in their wax. And when they're working in their flame, they're on fire. They're excited. They love what they're doing. You can hear it in their voice. You can see it in the way they behave. When they're working in their wax, it just takes all their energy away. And you can hear that in their voice and you can see that in the way they behave. Uh, I'm working in my flame. I no longer manage the day-to-day -day operations. <laughs> Somebody else does that. He's doing a great job. Somebody else manages the day-to-day -day operations as a CEO. I'm basically the spokesperson for the company. Um, I do this. This is what I do for a living. I do interviews and I write books and I love what I'm doing. I'm working in my flame. So as long as I'm happy doing what I'm doing and I'm healthy, um, I think I'm very likely to be doing this five years from now. With, with, with your track record of success and everything you've put out there, how often do you get people soliciting you about, hey, I'm starting a business. I would love for you to hear the idea. Or does that happen to you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it does with, with a fair amount of regularity. Oh. Um, look, I, I just, okay. So here's what I tell them. I generally, uh, I generally email them myself. Sometimes I need to have my assistant do it because I'm just overwhelmed. I only have so much bandwidth. Um, 
And I'll say, they know I run a referral organization. Oftentimes they're BNI members. If not, they know um, who I am. And so I open up my email by saying, I'm giving away one of my secrets here. <laughs> uh, I open up my email saying, hey, thanks for your message. A good referral for me would be a cloning clinic because I need several of me to handle so many valid requests. You know, I really appreciate, this is the, this is the diplomacy, right? <laughs> I really appreciate um, your desire to connect and to talk, but uh, with 265,000 members worldwide, uh, it's, it's just not possible. Um, and so I, you know, I, I would refer you to my blog, and if they're a BNI member, I would refer you to my BNI podcast. Sometimes I might have a specific blog that answers a piece of their question, and I'd I'd put in that link. Uh, and and I you know it's a very nice way of saying I wish I could help you, but I can't. And um, there's only so many hours in the day. And and uh, you know I tell people I'm semi-retired. I'm I'm down to 40 hours a week. Um, you know, because I, I spent many years working sixty hours a week, um, and today I'm not I'm not working that many. Well, thank you so much, Ivan, for for giving giving us the time, giving all the listeners right here a moment into your life and kind of what you build out there. If people want to stay in tune to future speaking events you're going to be putting together, future books, what's the best avenue for them to kind of stay attuned to that? Well, I'm all over face, Facebook. I'm all over social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, okay. uh, Twitter, Instagram. So you can find me there. All the names are Ivan Meisner, except for Instagram. I couldn't, I couldn't get him Ivan Meisner. It's Dr. Ivan Meisner. Uh, but it, they're all there, Ivan Meisner. Um, so uh, Facebook in particular, I tend to be um, personally a little more active on. Um, also my blog, uh, IvanMeisner.com. I've been blogging there twice a week for 15 years. Oh, wow. It's all free content. You know, you go and there's lots of, and it's searchable. You can search for it. Um, so th there are those things. And, and of course, uh, check out my books, uh, Who's in Your Room. I've got a second edition of Who's in Your Room coming out. You can find it on Amazon. And I've got the full story to BNI Connect in a book coming out next year called The Third Paradigm. The Third Paradigm. The full story is in there. And I'll give you a hint. Um, I don't say it's me um, in the book. Uh, I, I say it is, I say it is a gentleman named Richard, which happens to be my middle name. It's not that I'm, it's not that I'm hiding it. It's just that I, I think it, the story is more powerful as a third party story than, a, than me talking about myself. Wow. Can I leave you with one last thought on networking? Yeah, please, 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 please. You know, any the, the expression, the expression, it's, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Hmm. I don't think it's either. Oh. I don't think it's what you know or who you know. I think it's well, how well you know each other that counts. That's the key. I have some amazing contacts here in my telephone. But the real question is, could I call that person? Hmm. And would they take my call? And if I ask them for a favor, would they say yes? Hmm. That's what makes a powerful personal network. If your network is a mile wide and an inch deep, it's never going to be powerful. You need a network that is both wide and in places deep where you have deep connections with people, where you can pick up the telephone or send an email. 
You can ask for a favor and that person will say, yeah, absolutely. I'm glad to help. It's not what you know. And it's not who you know. It's how well you know each other that really makes a difference. I, I, I totally agree with you. I think it was someone told me well, a long time ago the saying, you're very, very lucky if you have uh, five friends, right? Five true friends like that. Yep. I know, of course, you can build it up farther, but having someone true that you can pick up their phone like you're talking about is a powerful thing. It is. Uh, thank you so much, Ivan. I know we had a hiccup on getting here. but We, uh, got we did have a hiccup. And just for the record, it was my fault. <laughs> so I'll, I'll throw myself on the sword. Uh, you had nothing to do with it. My, my fault, my bad. I'm glad we got here this time. I, and uh, I apologize. Yeah, I appreciate you so much. I mean, for everyone listening right there, I mean, if you're not part of a BNI chapter, you really should look into it. They allow you to go there, I think, at least once if they don't already have someone there. Yeah, once or uh, twice. And I forgot BNI.com, of course. Oh, BNI, yeah, BNI.com. <laughs> if, if you don't have one, if your spot's already taken, you can put one together. They'll help you out. I mean, it's a great avenue. I had one in the past, looking to join one in the future. I mean, they're, they're a great avenue to be a part of. Thank you so much again, Ivan, for, for being here. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.